Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Sermon Series. สวัสดีค่ะยินดีต้อนรับสู่บทเทศนาของบท Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. And here's this week's sermon. We hope you enjoy it too. Well, those lights are bright. Can we turn those lights, these front lights, down a little bit? Feel like I'm having a Damascus Road experience. <laughs> Is that you out there, Lord? Uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and we are going to be going through uh, an Advent series. The first is hope. The second is peace. The third is joy. The fourth is love, and then Christmas Eve, of course, is Christ. And so today, I'm reading from Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, "Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her, her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Two thousand years ago, God decided to lead an invasion against the powers and principalities of evil, and He did it in the strangest way: a baby got born. He who was to come was prophesied. He was. Hope, the hope of Israel was that the Messiah would come. The coming of Messiah for centuries was the hope of Israel. Perhaps no people, aside from Christians, have lived more by hope than those who are Jewish. We believe we have seen what they hoped for. Israel's hope is now our faith. We are a people of faith. We believe we have witnessed the inbreaking of God's kingdom. In a manger, we believe that because we believe the words of Scripture we read this morning. Emmanuel came; the Word was made flesh. God is with us. The incarnation happened. Jesus lived a life like no other. He died a crucifixion and a death like no other, and he rose from the dead. It all happened. That is what our faith is based on. But just as importantly. We are a people of hope as well as faith. We live by hope because, despite the past inbreaking of the kingdom of God, it is obvious that that kingdom has not come in its fullness. People still kill each other. Have have you noticed? Famine still plagues much of the planet. There is starvation. There is hatred and prejudice of every kind. There is disease. And all of these things tell us the kingdom has not come in its fullness. We live between the Jesus coming and the Jesus not coming period, between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. 
Therefore, we must live not only by faith, believing God has acted and does act, but we must live by hope, believing that the God who acted will continue to act. We are hoping, our ultimate hope, as Peter said in his epistle, for the day we obtain our inheritance, which will not perish. We are hoping for the day of salvation, when our salvation will be made final. We are hoping for Jesus' return, for the lion to lay down with the lamb, for the new Jerusalem to come to this planet, for death to die, for our final redemption. We are waiting to see with our own eyes the one we have served for a lifetime by faith. We are hoping for God's kingdom to be consummated. We are waiting for God to finish what he started 2,000 years ago in a manger. Therefore, we live by hope. Now, biblical hope is not to be equated with the way hope is so often used in our culture. When we say, I hope for this or hope for that, usually it is not real hope. It is wishful thinking. In short, we are saying we want something, but we really don't expect to get what we want. You know, I wish for a Lamborghini. I doubt it's coming. I wish I had more hair. That ship has sailed. I wish I could shoot in golf in the 60s just one more time. My body says it ain't going to happen. Wishing is hoping for something without expectation. But biblical hope is a different animal. It is much stronger. You see, biblical hope is hoping with expectation. Hope is faith expecting. Faith in God to do what he said he would do. Biblical hope is certain of the destiny promised to us by God, the inheritance to which God's people are called. Hope makes us as certain of the future as faith makes us certain of the past. So, you know, as a matter of fact, hope is an essential component of faith. Real faith must produce hope. And real hope is a part of faith. I think the way I would simply put it is faith is trusting in God for the present. Hope is trusting in God for the future. People live by hope. They do. Christians and non-Christians both. They live by hope. There are studies that have found that people are, are actually, if they're going to live a successful life, are more motivated by the future than by the present or by the past. Actually, many times so. There are people who have all kinds of tragic things happen to their past, and they overcome it. Why? Because they have a vision for the future. They believe something better is coming than what they went through. The businessman knocking himself to get ahead is living by hope. The teenage girl or boy who primps in front of the mirror for an hour before going to school is living by hope. And conversely, people without hope, at least hope in something, are in terrible shape usually. One of the hallmarks of depressed people beside the terrible sadness is the feeling of hopelessness. I will never be better. I'll never get out of this. Perhaps the greatest example of the powers of hope in modern literature and in science, was by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a Jew who lived during the time of Hitler and pre-World War II and during World War II. And like so many Jews in Germany, he was captured and thrown into a concentration camp 
during one of the purges in Germany of the Jews. And there he lived in a hell. He lived in hell, struggling to survive. Franklin, but Frankel noticed some prisoners died much sooner than others, despite the same environment and the same amount of food and the, and the same treatment. And Frankel, while he was there in these concentration camps, wondered why. What made some men and women live longer than others? What made some men and women overcome incredible odds and incredible hardships? And he found the answer in the word hope. Those men and women who had a goal, a dream, a vision beyond their cells, beyond these prison camps, were motivated to stay alive and try when others quit. He found for many that hope literally was their life. They had nothing else but hope. Hope drove them into the future when their bodies wanted to quit. And those without hope just died. During one terrible time, when Frankel was first put into the concentration camp, he received word that his wife had died in another concentration camp. And then he got word that his parents had died in yet another concentration camp. And then he received word that his children had been killed. And then during one strip search, one day, bearing all this grief and all this pain, they stripped him down. They wanted to make sure nobody was you know, planning escape or had any ways of, 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 of uh, fighting back. And they stripped him down and they saw his wedding ring. And it was the last vestige of any physical connection he had to his family in this world. And of course, they took that too. And at that moment, naked and in grief, living in a place like a concentration camp, he said this to himself, you can take away my wife, you can take away my children, you can strip me of my clothes and my freedom, but there is one thing no person can take away from me, and that is my freedom to choose how I will react to what happens to me. You can take away my life, but you cannot take away my reason for living or how I live or how I die. That is the power of hope. If you hope, you can overcome almost anything, including concentration camps. If you live by hope, you can overcome the presence and its hardships. But for all of us, there is something built into all of us. We all need a reason beyond ourselves to endure in this world. We are people who must let our hope activate us. Real hope activates. Did you know that? It energizes. It empowers. Too many people in the evangelical and fundamentalist camps don't understand what I think is real biblical hope. I know this because the hope that they have often deactivates them, renders them passive in the face of human evil. Their hope for God's kingdom turns into self-preoccupation. Pray till I make it to the end. The world is going to be destroyed. Help me get into the ark with me and my family. There's a real defensiveness, a selfish kind of religion that just says, all that really matters going on all around me is me preserving myself. And of course, the height of this is the Christian uh, doomsday prep movement. You know, the folks that 
believe Jesus is coming back and believe in an apocalypse, so they dig a bunker or a hole in the ground. They make some kind of bunker, and then they store up freeze-dried food and, and water, and then they load up with guns and ammo. And I'm going, now, how is this Christian? Let, are, you know, and, and, and they're, you know, somebody, are you telling me if somebody needs food or water or shelter, you're going to shoot them because you believe in Jesus coming back? Jesus is coming back. Get the AK-47. Hallelujah. Hope is not a hole in the ground. Hope is not arming ourselves. Hope is not living in fear. It is a launching pad so that we may act as Jesus in a perishing world. Of all people, we Christians should let our hope energize us, not paralyze us. We of all people should let our living hope reach out to bring people into the kingdom that shall not end, to help the world see the superiority of Christ's values, to model a, a, a kingdom that is an alternative, and to try in the name of Jesus to alleviate human suffering. That's what hope should do. Our hope is not a call to retreat and wait for the world to burn up. It is a call to make this a better world because we know that our efforts, even if not completed in our lives, will not be in vain because Jesus will complete what we start if we started in His name, His value, and His spirit. Good works aren't going to disappear when Jesus comes back. Is your hope an energizing hope? Christians, our hope is a sure thing. So many people spend their lives on a hope for an inheritance that is perishable, says Peter, and will fade away. You know, some of us hope in our portfolios. Some of us hope in our physical conditioning. Some of us hope in our nation. I'm here to tell you there is only one imperishable hope, and that is the living hope. And by the way, I, I need to say this too. Everybody hopes. And the question is not just, what do you hope for? The question is, who do you hope in? You know, I, I, uh, I had one writer who, uh, he, he said uh, that he was flying from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And there had been a 45-minute delay, and everybody on board the plane was really frustrated. Unexpectedly, the plane then had to make an unscheduled stop in Sacramento on the way. The flight attendant explained that there would be another 45-minute delay, and if the passengers wanted to get off the plane, they could deplane, stretch their legs, move around a bit, and then reboard re the plane in 30 minutes. Everybody got off the plane except one gentleman who was blind. You could tell that this man had flown this flight many times before because the pilot approached him called him by name and said, Keith, we're going to be here in Sacramento for almost an hour. Would you like to get off the plane and stretch your legs? Keith replied, no, thanks, but maybe my dog would like to walk out and move around a bit. The pilot said, we'll be glad to walk him for you. And so the pilot, you know, he, like many pilots, they're Joe Cool, he put on his sunglasses and he grabbed the dog and he went into the terminal. Now picture this. All the passengers are out there waiting around in the gate area 
when suddenly the pilot with sunglasses on being led by a seeing-eye dog comes wandering in the terminal. Many people rush through the terminal not only to change planes but to change airlines. For some reason they thought the airline standards for pilots was a bit too low. They thought their pilot at least should be able to see. It matters as much as who you believe in as what you believe in. Nobody wants to get on a plane with a pilot led by a CNI dog. We have a sure hope because we follow the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Our hope was born 2,000 years ago in a manger. Our hope is based on the man who healed the lame, who healed the blind and the leper, who fed the hungry, who loved the unlovely. It was he who showed us faith and gave us hope who gave us a peek at the coming kingdom. Every time Jesus healed somebody, he was giving us a peek of the coming kingdom, what God plans to do one day. He's not only our hope, he gave us something to hope for. For Christ himself is our hope. It was his life that assures us our hope is not in vain. We have a living hope. The same Christ, born in a manger, is going with us into the future. Randy Day was the General Secretary of the Board of Global Ministries for the United Methodist Church. And in that job, he did a lot of international travel. He and his wife adopted a little boy from another country, and the little boy was, quickly became the delight of their house. When Randy Day traveled, he'd always called home from wherever he was. And once he called from just across the international date line and told his young son, Son, it's dark where you are right now, but where I am, it's light. In fact, I've crossed the international date line. It's tomorrow where I am. Some months later, Randy had to leave home again to travel. And as he said goodbye to his family, he said, I'll call you when I get there. And his little boy, really, really excited, looked up at him and said, Dad, will you call me from tomorrow? You see, Jesus is not just with us in the present. He is waiting for us in the future. And I can know I can go confidently into the future because I know the God who's going to meet me there. I didn't have this in my notes, but it looks like I really underestimated how long this service was going to last. <laughs> so I'm going to say something, but it's not in my notes. Pray for me. You know, this always gets risky. And, uh, but I have found, I have found that the two hardest things for people to manage when they want to be close to God is shame and fear. Shame basically says, you are, I am unlovable, I am unredeemable, you know, I'm of no use to anybody. That is shame. And it says that Jesus died on the cross to remove our shame. I find that interesting. He didn't die on the cross to remove legitimate guilt, but he died on the cross to remove our shame. And the other emotion that I find people struggle with, and particularly 
people in Western civilization that we struggle with is fear. Maybe it's because we've got so much to lose. Maybe it's because, you know, we, we can have vivid imaginations about what can happen. But I find so many people live in fear. And it's tormenting. You know, I've counseled with people. And, and I've counseled with people in great pain. And I've counseled with people in great fear. And I have found often the more tormenting emotion is fear. Because you know why? Your imaginations can run wild with fear. I, I, I remember talking to somebody and I said, you know, I said, please, please, wait to worry. Wait to be afraid. Because often what we do is I, we think of 30 terrible things that can happen that just paralyze us instead of waiting for the one bad thing to come that God will help us handle. The antidote to fear is hope. We can sit around and be afraid. You know, and, and, I, and in all honesty, I will say, you know, my, the two greatest hurdles I fight all the time are shame and fear. You know, something goes wrong and says, oh my gosh, well, if that happened, then, then this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen. You cannot keep up with your imagination when it comes to fear. <laughs> your fear in the hands of your imagination can create scenarios that you know will never happen, but you feel the fear from them anyway. Hope, hope, hope is the antidote to fear. Because hope says God is in the future. And no matter what happens to me, God can either deliver me from it, heal me from it, use it for his glory, and use it to all things work to the good of him that, that, that loves God, that God can deliver somehow, some way, or give me the strength to get through it. God will be there, and he will help us get through. That is hope. You can imagine 50 things that will go bad. Why don't we imagine the God who is waiting for us, who knows what will go bad and already has a plan to get us through it and already has the power to get us through it. That is the antidote. We live by fear so much. And, of course, the media, the media all the media does is fear-mongering. You know, this, this is what could happen and this is what could happen and this is what could happen and, oh, my gosh, you know, and... And I'm just going, the worst thing I think that could happen is that I die. But if I die, what's going to happen? I'm going to end up in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be in a far better world than this one. I'm going to get walk the streets of gold. I'm going to get a new body. What am I afraid of? I probably... This may be where I pray. Anyway, <laughs> somebody, somebody asked me one time, you know, with all these church shootings, they asked me and they said, are you, I, they said, every time I, I come to church, I think about the church shootings and that it could happen here. And they said, what do you think? And I said, uh, I have a bulletproof shield around the pulpit. I'm not, no. Uh, <laughs> What I said was, uh, 
First of all, I'm a Christian. I'm not afraid of death. And second of all, I said, there's a whole lot worse ways to die than dying suddenly from a bullet. You know, what, what, what gets me is we have these horrible, horrible ways people die. But we're used to them. You know, watching someone die of Alzheimer's slowly, slowly. Watching people die of cancer. Watching people die of diabetes. Those are terrible ways to die. And often incredibly painful and take years and drain resources. If somebody came, and I'm not hoping this, please, this is not an order. <laughs> but if somebody came and shot me dead and I went straight... To be honest, I would choose that rather than spending five years battling cancer in agony. I would, I would rather go quickly rather than, than, you know, watching them cut off a piece of me at a time with diabetes. And please understand, I am not, I pray nobody ever comes in here shooting. I'm not wishing death on anybody. But why are we so afraid? There are worse ways to die than being in a church praising God. Isn't there? Okay, that, I'm coming back to the notes now. <laughs> I know I can go confidently into the future because I know the God who's going to meet me there. Jesus himself is the guarantee of our faith. As Paul writes, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that same person who himself was the hope of Israel now pours the power of hope for the coming kingdom into us. What I love about the, the scripture this morning is it said, you know, they prophesied, Emmanuel, God with us. That was the manger. And how does all of history get consummated? Emmanuel, God with us, sitting on the throne when the new Jerusalem comes. What happened in miniature one day will happen cosmically. God will have the last word. Even if I die, God will have the last word. What God started in Bethlehem will one day be completed when the new Jerusalem comes to this planet. The kingdom that began in a cradle will end with the Lamb on a throne. The Christ who has so changed this world and is changing it now will one day bring in a new one. Hope says Jesus will finish what he started. And by the way, here's the good news. That includes you. What does this Paul say? Faithful is he who began a good work in you who will one day what? Complete it. God's working on you. God's going to bring glory out of you. God is healing you. God is transforming you into the image of his son. And he will never stop until he takes you to glory. Jesus will finish what he started. And he tells us to stake our very lives on and for such a future. Because he who was born at Christmas is our future. The good news today is that Christ has come. That's Christmas. The good news today is Christ is here. That's the Holy Spirit. The good news today is that Christ will come. He will come. And because of all three of those things, we can get through anything. God can get us through anything. We don't have to fear anything.
Besides that, if the worst thing anybody can do to us is kill us, we're supposed to already be dead. Well, I'm not getting... <laughs> we have already died in Christ and are resurrected with Him. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Take up your cross and die daily. We do not have to fear. Substit what I want you to do now is I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to offer up to God what you fear. And ask him to put hope where there is now fear. You may fear for your kids. Give that to him. You may fear for your job. Give that to him. You may fear for your physical health. Give that to him. You may fear both domestic or foreign terrorism. Give that to him. Lord Jesus, help us to be people of hope. Not only can we cast our cares upon you, Jesus, we can cast our fears upon you. And know, and know, Lord, that you can get us through anything. Lord, we live in a world of fear-mongering. May we keep our eyes on you while all the alarm bells ring.
and all the dire forecasts are made. May we keep our eyes on you, Jesus. Lord, I pray you set some people free in here. Let the chains of fear drop off. And let hope replace fear and the torment it causes. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like the uh, worship team to come up and the intercessors to come up. Again, we will pray. We never want to leave a service without... If you brought a heavy burden in here or a heavy fear in here and you want someone to help you handle that and pray for that, uh, we always want to give you an opportunity to be prayed for. And so um, I'm going to ask you to stand. And lead us in worship uh, as we sing our final song. Break every chain. There's an all. 
break every chain to break every chain break every chain break every chain sing it out there is power there is power in the name of Jesus there is power in the name of Jesus there is Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain Lord Jesus, be with us as we leave this place Help us to live in hope, and our hope is you Help us, Lord, to not be afraid. There's so much to be afraid of, Lord. Help that to be blotted out by looking in your face and clinging to you and believing, Lord, that you have us in your hands. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for sending angels to watch over us. We thank you, Lord, for all kinds of things that the list is too long to mention. But Lord, we thank you for hope. Help us, Lord, to be people who look forward to the future because no one has more to look forward to than Christians. Bless us as we leave, leave this place, our living hope. Amen. Break every chain, break every chain. 